Welcome back to Label, the stories, rumors, and legends of Tooth and Nail Records. I'm your host, Matt Carter. And I heard Aaron Lunsford snuck in here last week and got up in the feed with his music draft. I'm glad you guys liked that little experiment as a pilot. Um, we'll do some more development with it in the future, but thank you for listening to that. The uh, response was really good. So he said to tell y'all thanks. Um, if you've been paying attention at all to Tooth & Nail for the last several years, you can tell that they've got a very special place in the roster for Tyson Motzenbacher. Tyson seems to always be able to make great connections with people, with other artists, both with his personality and his songwriting. He's a great solo performer, and he's on another level when he has a full band. I always enjoy hanging out with him. I love his new record, Milk Teeth. And uh, we start this episode off jumping right into a story that's fresh um, from his tour that caused us to have to postpone the original recording of this episode. So we'll get right to it. Here we go. Well, Tyson, let's... um I mean, this is a very easy podcast because the amount of time I've spent around you and the different iterations I've seen you with and without a band, on tour, in a garage, um, you know, local show here in Seattle, I saw you with a band. I've seen all the different iterations and remember you from the beginning, you know, from the Bad Christian Garage in Charleston. You <laughs> yeah, that? man. Um, I but that let's, well. let's not even do all of that right now. Let's just start with the hot story, which is your gear getting stolen, which made us postpone this uh, interview the first time and, and, and just jump right into whatever that was. I'd love to hear that story. Do you, you ever play at the Casbah? Where is that? In North in San Carolina? Diego? In San Diego? Oh, no. Yeah, I don't know it. Okay. It's like, uh, it's kind of like the, I'm trying to think about what it would be like. Um, maybe a little crocodile-y, but smaller. It's just mm-hmm. kind of like the place where, where everybody plays here. Yeah, I think I've um, heard of it, but I've never played there. Yes, yeah, so we played there. Uh, and it's kind of like, it's like right by the airport. So like all the planes are flying right over, but it's like kind of downtown-ish. Um, so we played there, had a great show, and then loaded up. Got back to my, so we were staying at my house and we were supposed to drive to Texas the next morning. This is so the like, first night of, to, of the, the tour, first tour leg here. Yeah, so we had a one-off in Phoenix, so we like went out and did Phoenix, and then came back, had two days off, and then San Diego, and then we were set to go go do our thing. So, drive back to my house, all the guys are staying at my house, and um, park the, and also, okay, so the van has been, the van and trailer have been at my house for like a week before this, just sitting out front. Um, And uh, no problems with it, so we live in a kind of a sleepy neighborhood here, so anyways, we get back, pull the van up. And, you know, like if we're in like some sketchy town, I always back the trailer up against a tree or like a wall or something, try to like, you know, shove it up in a bush or something, try to keep where people can't get to it. But I was like, it's 2.30 in the morning. We're leaving at like seven. This is a sleepy neighborhood. Van's been here all week. At your house? At my house. It's like, it's fine. We're, we're fine. So go to sleep. Oh, dude, this is crazy too. So I'm pretty sure there's a ghost in our house. <laughs> okay we got two good stories to start on then this is part of the story all right so i'm okay. pretty sure there's a ghost in our house and um he's like kind of a friendly ghost like he's like kind of like a like he'll kind of play pranks on us and stuff sometimes so i like this ghost a lot like i i feel like we're friends okay. so at like i'm trying to go to sleep and we have these lights in our house where like you, they're on your phone or whatever right so you like turn them off with your phone it's like the outlet is connected to your phone it's a very Matt Carter thing, actually. I feel like you'd be into that type of thing. I've, you know, I've do I've done every smart device and been locked out of my own house and unable to turn on my own lights for years. Yes, I know, <laughs> yeah. I know the feeling. Yes. Yeah. So, I do, so we turn I do the lights smart off. Devices. Yeah, I figured you did. I figured you did. So, so we're super tired. Turn all the lights off. Five seconds later, all the lights turn back on. 
And I'm like, oh man, I hate technology. So they turn the lights off. Five seconds later, all the lights turn back on. And then my wife's like, we're super annoyed because we got to leave early in the morning. She turns all the lights off with her phone. And then like 15 seconds later, all lights turn back on again. So at this exact same time, while all the lights are turning off and back on again, in our room, in the other room, our guitar player is a fader. And he turns the lights all the way down with the fader. Lights flicker, turn back on in his room. Same time. So like, and he like turns the light all the way down, turns them off and they're like flickering, turning back on. And he, he, he fights it for like five minutes and then finally they just like, they turn off. Same with us. At that exact same time, somebody is angle grinding the front of our trailer off. Whoa. Like, yeah, like right outside of my house. We should have been able to hear it, but somehow we didn't. The, tra- so, the trailer tongue? The, no, no, no. So the, the, the whole door. So it's like one of the, the ones back with the door. door. The back door. So all the yeah. locking brackets, they're just yeah, like grinding yeah. those off. Yeah. And anyway, so I think the ghost was trying to wake us up, dude. Weird. He's, and he was doing it to all of us. Like all, and it's never happened before. It hasn't happened since. The, the, I think the ghost was trying to wake us up to go check the trailer. That's my theory. But, but he didn't get your attention. You're just pissed at the ghost. Oh, we were, I was mad at this ghost. I was like, leave us alone. We got to leave at seven. Uh-huh. So, and so you didn't hear any, like there was no, you don't have any memory of hearing that or anything no. like that. Seems like that would be loud. Dude, so loud. I don't understand how we didn't hear it because unless, so the dudes that did this are like full, full-blown tweakers. And you can never like underestimate the power of a tweaker. So there's a chance. Yeah, there's a chance. (laughs) Motivated. Yeah, exactly. So there's there is a chance that that this guy was like straight up hand filing through it. That might be possible. In which case it would that would have taken him like three hours, but he had the time or whatever. So um wake up the next morning, our guitar player Adam goes out, trailers open, all the like you know, all the merch is still in there and like the big stuff, like the big amps and stuff, but all the guitars, drums, keyboards, everything's, everything else is gone. <sighs> and wow. I mean, dude, that, so there's, yeah. Have you had this? Have you got, you guys must've been robbed at some point. Never. And I, Seriously? I mean, we're not even that paranoid about it, but there's been certain time. I mean, you know, I'm not trying to distract from your story, but I could, yeah. I have a lot of distinct memories of being very worried at this hotel or that place or mm-hmm. the, the, you know, there's been a million and we've had our catalytic converter cut off. <laughs> no way. <laughs> yeah. That's the best one is we were just at a hotel in Indianapolis and started the van in the morning. And it's the loudest sa- like, like heart attack sound. Cause it's, <laughs> the van's quiet when you start yeah. it, start it. And it's yeah. the Harley Davidson <laughs> and you about to jump out of the van. And, what the fuck is going on? The catalytic converter had been cut off. And so we had to go get a new one that day, but we've never had our gear stolen yeah. in, in all the years, as many times as you've heard of it happening and everything. So, okay. So just for the gear people, these are some of the things that were stolen. Some CNC drums that are like, or Ooh. no, sorry. Uh, that are like, they're, wait, they're not, they're the, they're not CNC. Anyway, it's like this $5,000 drum kit that our drummer has. Um, a Nord and a Prophet, both stolen. Uh, a, Gr- a, G- a Gretsch Country Gentleman, uh, which is like, a, that's like a $3,000 guitar. And then my Gibson J45, my Gibson Gospel, Damn. which is a which is a vintage Gibson guitar. That's a personal thing beyond its value. Totally. Um, a P bass, a vintage Harmony bass, like just like a bunch of super hard stuff to replace and expensive stuff. So I'm like, you know, I'm just like so mad. And our bass player uh, has, he calls me. He's like, hey, I have a, um, I have an air tag in my bass case. And it says that it's in Point Loma. So Point Loma is like down by the airport again, like where by kind of by where the, where we played the night before. So I was like, 
I was like, these guys must have followed us from the club. Yeah. All and my, I live like thirty miles or like thirty minutes north. So they they followed us from the club, all in my house. They sat there and waited for us to leave, and then they grinded the thing off. Ghost is trying to help us out. We don't listen to him. So we, me, the guitar player, and the drummer get in the car. We rip down to Point Woman. It's like, what's yeah. the mental state? You're like, I'm like okay, so for, okay, so you've already roller coastered from, dev, like, how long was the devastation deflated that part? Like, oh, it was like 25, 30 minutes. Because I'm like, I'm like, tours over. Like, like you know, this whole release is totally screwed. Like the everything. Like I don't know if. Do, we have you, insurance, you but I don't know. Dollar, yeah, you have insurance, but you're thinking this is thirty grand or fifty yeah. grand or something yeah, it's, like that. It's yeah. in that range for sure. So I'm like, I'm like, how? I'm like, and you know, I'm and I'm like, I've got insurance, but you never know like what's gonna happen with this because some of it's mine, some of it isn't. It's insurance is in my name. It's this giant yeah. complicated situation. So I'm like, I'm like, dude. I'm also like. I've had guitars like this is the th I think the third or fourth time that I've had someone steal guitars from me like uh, and I'm just it's just one of those things where it's like if somebody steals uh you know, it's like it's such a personal thing you know yeah yeah like I have guitars that like you know my like, like my mom who doesn't who isn't around anymore she bought me a guitar for my college graduation somebody somebody fucking stole that from me it's like that's like infuriating you know what I mean yeah. it's like that's something yeah. I can't replace and and it wasn't even worth that much money you know the guy pawned it for like fifty bucks or whatever. Mm -hmm. So I'm super mad. I'm like, if I find this guy, like, I don't know what I'm going to do. Was it anger? Or, I mean, I think my feeling would just be like, dev like, lo like low energy state. But you were immediately, you were in a, uh, what was the, is it a, a anger ragey state? When, when I thought it was gone, because usually it's gone. It's just like, it's just gone. Right. So uh -huh. that's what I thought it was just gone. Yeah, you'd assume it's total. Like there's, you didn't, you weren't thinking this is recoverable at the moment, at least. Yeah, I'm like, it's, so at first I'm like, it's gone. Like, we're never getting this stuff back. And not to mention, like, what this does for our tour, which we've been planning, like, we've been planning for the past six months. So, but then when I found, like, then when I've heard that we might be able to find it, then I was like, I turned into, like, RoboCop, dude. I was like, right. now it's, now it's the, on. The most focus imaginable, right? Like, mm -hmm. like yeah, that state of a group of people, a touring party, the people you have camaraderie with and stuff like that. Once you flip into there's something we got to do. Yeah. And it's that serious. That mm -hmm. is one of the most intense mental states I know about. I can completely yeah. imagine that one. Laser focus. Unbelievable. Yeah. yeah. So we get down there. Um, it's this like this. There's basically. What, like these, what, are, what are you planning? And what do you say? What do you say? And you say, do we got to get, do we going to get a gun? Are we going to get in a fight? Do we call the police? Like, what are you thinking in your head at, at the moment of heading that direction? Yeah. So my first thought, well, so the, the, my guitar player and bass player or, and the drummer, they actually left before me. So they, they like, um, they, they split like maybe 15 minutes before me. So they're ahead of me on their way down there. And, um, I'm like, okay, we got to call the cops for sure. I want to get some cops up in this thing if we can help it. And then I guess it's just like, you just go like Magnum PI on it. Right. You just like try to sniff it out and see where it might be. So anyway, so 15 minutes, so they're, they're down there and they call me and they're like, Hey, there's a giant box truck parked out front. Mm. And like the box truck could fit all these guitars in it. And that's the only thing. Cause they checked all the cars. So this is a reek. So, so you, the choices are let the authorities handle it full vigilante or yeah. recon. So you go to recon mode. Well, so right. we call the cops and they're like, you, so this is the whole other part of it. We call the cops. They're like, hey, this is an emergency. You got to call the police station. Call the police station. They're like, hey, we're really busy. So we're trying to get a hold of the cops. So eventually our guitar player, Adam, 
just starts calling 911 over and over and over. <laughs> Which I understand people are going to be mad about that. And I understand why that's no, a lame I... thing to do. But but I'm like, we need somebody here. And so anyway, eventually the lady goes, hey, you can't keep calling 911 about this. We know about it. And then and Adam goes, well, we've called the police. You told us to call the sheriff's station. We called the sheriff's station like six times. They're not answering. And we're going to keep calling 911 until you send a cop. Because like because there's going to be a 911 physical emergency otherwise that yeah, we're like going to go is, create. This is a massive problem. Yeah. We've got like $30,000 of guitars in this, like somewhere near this hotel. And we need you guys to be here right now. So finally, I was like, fine. So she... <laughs> So she dispatches the cops. They but they take like two hours to get there. So I get down there. I go to the box truck. Box truck's covered in cobwebs. So I'm like Sherlock Holmes. There. I'm like it's not the box truck. But right? nobody's around. You don't. It's, the box truck's parked where? It's on the street. And it's the, and the, the air tag okay. looks like it's on the street. So first check the box truck. Box truck's like it's not there. Also the box truck has a little tiny lock on it. I was like I'm gonna go get some. Like if I thought I was in the truck, I was gonna go get some some cutters and cut that lock off and like look in the box truck. So. So it's not in the box truck. And then I'm like, maybe they found the air tag and threw it out the window. That's my mm-hmm. next thought. So I'm like, we got to look for the air tag. So me and the dudes were like walking up and down the street. No, no air tag. Then I go in the back and there's all, dude, this place is ske- so sketchy. And I actually like really sad too. Cause there's like all these, all these methed out tweakers. And then there's like, you know, people that are clearly like engaging in illicit affairs. And then there's a bunch of like, really poor families that are like either living there or staying there with kids. And I'm like, this is just so dark, dude. I, I hate being here. This just makes me feel bad about the world. And so that's happening. Patrick, who has the air tag, shows up. And he's got the app, right? So he's walking around. So he around. can track it real close. Yeah. So he's like walking within around five feet or something like that. Yeah, dude, air tags are amazing. Also too, because we're air tags tell you if you're being tracked. Did you know this? they tell you if you're being tracked so like say i say i had an air tag and i put it in your pocket it would your iphone would tell you oh okay your iphone would be like there's an air tag following you so for obvious safety safety reasons so i'm like if these people have iphones like they know that there's an air tag following them so um so that's also sketchy so anyway so patrick goes it's one of these hotels where like the rooms are up top and then there's like a parking garage underneath the rooms. Mm-hmm. Patrick's like walking around and it's like beep, 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 beep. And then he goes in the garage and it's like, you found it. So he's like, it's like in the room above us. Okay. So Vertically. I'm like, yeah. So I'm in, I'm like, it's in the room above us. So I go upstairs. I'm like walking through the hallway and there's only three rooms that have do not disturbs and the maids are in all the other rooms. So I'm like, it's one of these three rooms. So I just sit there on the balcony and wait. So somebody comes, open the door. It's not that room. I look in there. It's not there. There's only two rooms that could be there right next to each other. And it's right where the air tag says all the stuff is. Or it says where the base is, at least. Um, so then the cops pull up, right? And they bring a bunch of reinforcements and stuff. And they go and they start watching nice. the closed circuit circuit TV. Because this hotel is so sketchy. So there's cameras everywhere. They go and to the office and say, we need to see your closed circuit. And they help out yeah. and everything. Okay. And the manager is like, dude, the the manager is like seen this a million times. Also, the cops said that they were there already that morning on a stolen car call at that same okay. hotel. So this place is lame. And they the cops are in there. They're watching the, the footage for like a while. And their cars are parked out front. So we think And you're that, not in there looking at the footage. You're no, just I am. Waiting. I'm, oh, I'm in there right. watching it with them. But I'm like, there's a cam. There's a big screen in the lobby that shows all the cameras. So I can like watch what they're watching. And at like five in the morning or something, it's white pickup truck 
pulls up in the back full of cases. And I'm like, there it is, dude. We got them. And we watched them unload them all. And I'm like, this, but I'm like thinking they split it all up, right? So there's like, they they sent like half of it over here, half of it over there, stuff every all over the place. And then maybe Patrick's base is here and everything else is gone. But I'm still like, I think his base is here at least. So they look at it. They pull priors on everybody that's staying in the hotel. And <laughs> it's just like Christmas tree. Like oh every gosh. single every single room has burglary prior, so they like don't even know where to look. And the one cop's like, "Hey, we can just knock on doors, like we because we don't have a warrant." So he gets Patrick's phone. He's like walking around upstairs, and sure enough, it's that one room. I'm like, I know it's this room. It like lights up. The phone lights up. Dude, not cop lock knocks on the door. Nobody answers. Obviously, manager comes up, keys in. A full room is full of stuff, like all of our stuff. So there's like the whole closet's full of guitars. Drums are all stacked up in the back. Pedal boards on the floor. There's a couple of guitar amps in there. And then like Golly. everything though, dude. The only thing that we lost is my guitar stand. Like my, I have like a guitar boat, like a, a case that you can like put guitars in. Like it's a stand. Yeah. It's like a hundred dollar stand. That's the only thing that wasn't there. Everything else was, was in there. And no, no people were around. Uh, no, but, but the, so the dude saw that cause we were there for so long with the cops. Also like there's like five dudes that look like, you know, that are like band guys walking around this hotel, like pissed off. And so I'm pretty sure the guy saw the cop cars and then he saw us and then he split, but he and left. Didn't. Yeah. He left everything though, dude. He left his phone, left his computer. Um, they, he was out getting coffee and came back and saw y'all or whatever. Probably and just did yeah. and didn't come back. And just dipped. Yeah. But we, ha but in his phone, this is what's crazy. So his phone was an Android. So Androids don't tell you if there's an air, air tag following you. Mm -hmm. And that's what I think what saved us. But um, the cops were stoked. They were like, we never get stuff back. This is the best day ever to be a cop. So everybody was happy. The radio Insane. station heard about it, started playing our song, which was <laughs> hilarious. Um, and like the, yeah, like Apple heard about it. And the re like the, all the Instagram stuff got like 100,000 views. It was just like this huge thing. But um, it's just a miracle, man. I can't believe it's we got it back. It's close to a miracle. There's the yeah. ghost involved in the miracle and uh, yeah. you know something divine on the other end and the law enforcement and the hotel cd hotel manager all collaborating yeah. together that's that's not that's a rare thing what about the guitar boat though what's the explanation i think maybe there's a chance that they like because like i have um like a lot of the cases had been opened uh-huh so like um like my you know so i think they like peaked inside so like i have this like baritone dan electro that's like not worth any money or whatever but like they had like looked at that and then i'm guessing that they like looked in all the stuff and when they opened up the case i think they thought that because it's like a suitcase right it's it one looks of those like a guitar case yeah or like a pedal board or something like that yeah and i'm guessing that they like opened it up and they're like this isn't worth anything and they just like threw it out of the truck or whatever um not worth even carrying yeah yeah that's my thought and so there's no rules i mean like you did you have to prove it was your stuff to go do that like how's that work with the cops they're like yeah i don't know just well you can have your stuff back yeah i mean they, like they, we had to like show, we had to like tell them what was in everything you know and they are like mm -hmm. they have all yeah. our names and stuff but i was like yeah. that's this guitar that's that this looks like this and and then they just like looked at it and they're like yeah sounds good um but uh I think, I mean, just because, like, we found it, basically. Like, the yeah. air tag was there. It was, like, really clearly our stuff. Um, but all the, but, um, 
yeah, I mean, all the other stuff that was like, there were a bunch of bikes in there and there's a bunch of tools and like a bunch, like, oh, there's a bunch of, there's a, like this one drawer, we've opened it and there's like meth pipe and then just like a bunch of meth in there. So it was pretty obvious what was going on, but they have all. Like of, he'd uses that room as a, as a staging place and, and repeats the, this type of activity. Yeah. It's also like, I mean, it's a perfect place for it. Like there's like the back. So there's a really busy street called Rosecrans. And then um, there's like a, a, there's an alleyway that goes through the parking lot. So, and then that's right next to the freeway. So like if you were shuttling stolen goods, it's like you drive in there, like exactly what they did. You drive in there with the truck, unload it in this hotel room, get on the freeway, somebody's fence or whoever comes does the same. It's like, it's just a really fast place to like get stuff in and out. So it makes sense. And probably followed you from the venue. That's gotta be, that's what it typically is. You know, I mean, there's, you know, that's, that's the most dangerous thing is when it's people that understand exactly what, what the gig is kind of a thing and understand right. that it's musicians and they play at the house of blues all the time and you follow yep. them. I think that's typically, you know, how it happens. I'm really sorry about that, but it's like, that's a miracle case. It's also too, it's tough. Cause like bands that are in buses and stuff, they can't steal from those because because the those are first of all they're full of lights and stuff, so you can't you, you can't really even get to the and then there's also like three locks on them, and also they drive all night, like the buses mm-hmm. pack up and drive all night, so there's yeah, never really two a.m. or whatever, yeah. And there's people packing it up until two a.m., so there's they never have an opportunity to steal from the big guys. It's just like the people that get screwed are like the indie the indie bands that are yeah. like van and a van and trailers the target, that, you yeah, know, for sure. There's totally. um I don't know of all the stories, but you hear about it. I don't know several times a year. You, yeah. it, you see a GoFundMe for this or whatever, basically. So, um, I can't even think of the main stories I know, but it's just it's all too common. Um, there is a band I won't even name them, but somebody that used to work for our band. <laughs> somebody that used to work for our band was working for another band and uh got a got the cash safe stolen with 50 grand in it from a ho- like the cash safe in a hotel room with a lock box just in the room and then you know because the cash accumulates pretty quick sometimes or it used oh, yeah. to not not as much anymore but it used to be the mm-hmm. cash was a big problem because right. how, it accumulates faster than you can deposit it and yep. then you got to like leave it in the van or take it in the hotel or whatever but it was stolen out of a hotel room that was a pretty bad pretty bad one when it's cash especially um but yeah, most of the time, you know, you don't get it back. I've heard of people like their whole rig getting stolen. Like I've seen videos of people's whole vans getting driven off or like they, they disconnect the trailer and put the, yep. and just take the whole yep. trailer. Yeah. The getting the whole trailer is a good one. Um, if you can figure out how to do that, the craziest one I've ever heard, and it could, I don't know if it's exactly, I'm, I'm almost positive. This isn't like a urban legend. I can't remember what band it was, but it's like, it's like the guy, they pull up to the venue in Detroit or something like that. And the guy comes up and goes, I'm so-and-so I, I parked the vans or whatever. So they uh-huh. all get out and he just drives away <laughs> <laughs> just straight away. The thing that I keep saying is like, it's, it's one of these things where it's like the, these guys are smart. Like they're, you know, they're, they're like, refined. They're, yeah. Yeah. I mean, it's like, it's clearly like they're pros and they know what they're doing. And like it, I mean, I was thinking about this poor guy that like, not poor guy. Like I can't wait to, cause they're going to find him. Actually, I just got a text right before I was talking to you. They're like, they totally, they're going to get him. Yeah. Cause it's this sad. is felony. It's like felony uh, possession. So he's done. And, um, he's got a bunch of priors and stuff. Too, so this guy's screwed, but 
I don't I have no empathy for him at all. But I'm thinking about him where it's like he stayed up until he stayed up all night. So he was like, you know, he waited there at the venue for us for five hours probably. And then followed us home and then either hand filed or grinded off this thing and then picked through it all, drove it back. And then he had a situation figured out where he knew how to stage it. It's like, it's, this is a whole operation. And I'm a little bit thinking like, you know, you could probably get like, you, you seem like a pretty smart, like, you know, uh, guy, like maybe you could get a pretty good job. It's like, you could probably get a pretty decent job with all these skills that you have, you know, yeah, that's not it, like he would stealing. fit in the touring world. If it was use those purposes for, for good, those are the good type of critical skills yeah. to have, you know, He'd finesse great, and all that. Great tour Focus. manager. Yeah, yeah exactly. <laughs> and the, the riskiest part for him too is in at three in the morning outside of somebody's house doing that, you could easily get killed or at least beat for up sure. really badly. You know, if the ghost uh, would have effectively warned you, I mean, he would have been, you know, he probably would have run off or whatever, but you never know if you're going to get, sh- while you're doing that grinding, Yeah, you, if you're about to be shot or, or whatever. Oh man. Yeah. I would have, I mean, and I'm like not a violent person, but I, I, I've been stolen from enough times where like it's it has uh, accumulated in me. Mm. This rage of being stolen from has accumulated in me, and it would have been like I don't know what I would have done. I'm get like there's a chance I would have just been like, "Hey, man," you know, and there's a chance that I would scare him off and he runs. But some some people, yeah. you know, there's there's only a certain amount of those encounters you can survive. I'll put it that way. Yeah, exactly, exactly right. I'm like probably the best case scenario of someone to run into, mm-hmm. but because yeah. like, there's some people that would not be, yeah, they would they would have something to do about it. If you were going to rob bands intentionally, you're better off with like the uh, what, you know, uh, Christian adjacent bands than <laughs> maybe other metal bands or whatever. There's probably Dude. some calculus there. You know. you know what though? I feel I don't know if you, like. <laughs> Like even like that tour I did with you guys, those He's Legend guys, like that's like the heaviest, some of the heaviest music mm-hmm. I've ever been around. Nicest dudes in the world. Mm-hmm. I feel like I feel like every super heavy band that I've been around, they're like the biggest sweethearts ever. Have you encountered that? Yeah, yeah. I, you know, I don't. The metal world is interesting because it in, it it involves some element of pretend, and I'm not making light of it or something but Mm -hmm. there is an element where you get to be a uh there's a fantasy almost element to it so you can be really tough and do metal and that can be true but you can also be the biggest sweetheart in the world and then you're doing the metal thing with your whole even with your whole self but you know there is a there is a can be a separation but some metal dudes are the toughest dudes in the world too yeah, totally. So you you never you know you never really know what what the actual culture behind a metal band is because it allows for a little bit of uh, it allows like little, for for something there like a little be, Lord of the Rings cosplay. Yeah, kinda. yeah. I'm yeah. not calling them LARPers or anything. I, I yeah. mean, it would be fun to be in a metal band, but you know, it would be you know it's a legitimate thing. I would like to be in a metal band, but that would yeah. I would have to enter that persona. And I would be allowed to to do that if I wanted to. If I, but yeah. I would. You get lost in there somewhere. I mean, and mm-hmm. there's there's no there's a a veil to that to where there's no telling what is really in the people that are the scariest looking. That does not necessarily mean they. It really doesn't necessarily mean anything, which mm-hmm. is kind of interesting about it. But certainly, some of the metal cultures are ve- are very tough, though. Yeah. You know, totally. you know, there's definitely that that too. Pantera, you, you know what I mean? If you yeah. steal from God, Godsmack, what happens? <laughs> yeah, right. You know, <laughs> I heard there's a good story. I'd love to get one day, um, but I I think it was story of the year 
and Godsmack got in a fight one time at, a, at like a festival or Ozfest or something like that. Somebody I know actually got in a fist fight with, with Godsmack at somewhere. I was trying my to first, remember what that story is. But. It was my first concert. First, what, my first concert was, well, Godsmack was first of three. It was Godsmack, and then you ready for the other two bands? Who were the other two, yeah. Direct Support, Nickelback. Nice. Headliner, Creed. Nice. <laughs> that was your first concert? That was a hell of a concert, dude. 99? Yeah, exactly. It was the, it was the, whatever that huge Creed record was with Hire and stuff. Yeah. Yeah, yeah, it was probably 98. Yeah, Spokane. I was in middle school. Spokane Arena is huge. They had pyrotechnics and stuff. It was sick. Wow. That's yeah, awesome. Man. Good stuff. Well, thank you for spending the first few minutes on that story, but that's just, that's just worth, worth doing. And it's a setup for, you know, your tour and your record. So you're able to do it um, and execute the tour. I bet that's just an unbelievable feeling to be on stage with, the, with that gear. Uh, what, the next night? Say, no, you drove we, to Texas. Two nights later, but yeah, we—I mean, we seriously like—I called a mobile welder. He came fix the trailer on the way home, and we were on the road at like three o'clock. Do you feel like just champions? Just—is that a, one of the highs? Of it was—it was amazing. It was amazing. <laughs> you know, it's—I—I I mean, I, I feel like you've done this enough times too, where like you put an album out and you have like all these like sort of goals and dreams for the album or whatever. And you never know what's going to happen. And then the things that end up being cool are things are never the things that you expect. Absolutely. They're not usually the things that happen on stage that are the most memorable. For sure. Yeah. It's like, man, that's, yeah, it just feels like, um, I mean, too, there's also to this element of like being a musician nowadays or just in general where it's like, it sort of feels like there, there's a lot of forces that like, it's just swimming upstream. It's like, everything is hard, you know? There's a, mm-hmm. there's a giant amount of like the industry is wacky and there's a ton of people trying to do it and it's hard to play and it's like stay up, it's just a lot of work and you're kind of pouring your soul out and and sometimes people care and sometimes they don't and it's just to have something where like the universe has smiled upon us it just feels great it's like man that's just one moment where like we got to swim with this current for a second you know mm-hmm. yeah that, and that it, was great to me I just get I kind of just get hyped about collaborations on like on every level and it's just uh-huh. like you did actions with people rationally to solve a problem yeah together and it did work out like that feeling to, it's just over a group overcoming yeah. a challenge with yeah. critical thought and decisive action like those are the yeah. things that just it doesn't matter if it's i mean if it's as simple as letting them get get a table at applebee's before they close you yeah. just you just you have to yeah. succeed with finesse as yeah. a group sometimes and it feels good and to have the cops involved and everything's great yeah and there i remember this one cop was like he's like you know i like to play golf because it's a stressful job and my golf clubs are custom and if somebody stole my golf clubs man he's like and he's like somebody could steal my car but if they stole like but it was just like i could tell that he like understood what these things yeah. what these instruments meant to us and it was just, it was rare too to have that in person because I feel like, you know, we're on the internet all the time and stuff. Absolutely. Like, to have this very human story and the sad parts and everything's very, all very human. Very, yeah. People, very cool. Like people understand like what this mean, meant to us and it made like the comments on everything. Just people like so excited for us. Like they're like, you know, just because it, it's such a human victory. It's like, it's a guitar and people love music and the bad guys lost and so it's it's cool <laughs> what about the show when you get to that show was that s- s- very satisfying musically to be playing the the, the prophet and the uh, yeah. j45 and you know hearing it 
hearing those sounds come out of it that first show must have been good dude it felt great man and it was it was one of these i'm sure you've done these too but it's one of these outdoor texas shows you know where there's like a big like mm -hmm. stage that's made out of an old barn or something and it's like mm -hmm. everybody in a field there's yeah. it just felt awesome i was like this is great so yeah well um i've only seen you like i said all the time oh and the other time i saw you was at brandon's wedding performing which is yeah. a special performance too but um the the you you with the band is like I only saw that when you came through Seattle and I was just here at the I don't know if it's sunset was that the sunset yep it was that that was just one of the best shows I've ever seen musically wow. um I just you know and I've seen you acoustic a bunch of times and really enjoy it but you with the band is so a next level experience to me I, I don't know if it's the same band you had then or whatever but um you know I just couldn't be a bigger fan of of you plus a band but that's yeah. only because that's only the fact that you're good solo like that's its own neat thing that you're able to do but then when you add that band it's just like it just you know it's i really 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 like that so um i and hopefully i'll get to see this band is it the same band same it is. same guys yeah, same because it's just next level kind of players kind of thing i don't know i think that's part of what i think is fascinating about you is yeah. you make connections um with people just really easily at, at and it's i don't know like it's uh it's this feeling of high quality musicians that are next level but not uh gross pro players or what mm -hmm. somehow they feel organic too yeah. and I, I you know I, I don't know how to explain that but it's like it's more like a i don't know how to explain that but i'm curious how you think about putting together bands and band leading and orchestrating mm. and how you choose musicians, um, you know, and stuff like that. I mean, that's, that's something I'm fascinated at you as a conductor or how do you think of that, that role of yours? Yeah, it's a good question. I mean, those guys are, the, the guys you're talking about are, um, the, 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 they're, they're really amazing. I mean, a couple of them are guys that play like, you know, that's their whole job and they play on records and tour big tours and stuff like that. Um, but um, I think I, not I just punk rock guys. You know what I'm saying? No, what yeah. are, who are they? There's the so the drummer is a guy named Daniel Griffo, who is when, when I when you saw him, he was like a kid. He would have been like 21 or something. And he's just it's actually interesting. Um, I have this theory that uh, like homeschooled Christian kids, basically what happens is that they finish high school when they're like 14, mm -hmm. and then they got to figure out what to do for the next like three years <laughs> yeah and a lot of those people end up like becoming masters of something like i have a friend who's uh i'm like the watkins like from nickel creek mm -hmm. sean exactly. and sarah watkins they're they're, yep. they're incredible and it's because they finished high school when they were like 12 and then they just played the mandolin or whatever or the violin and the guitar in this case but mm -hmm. um th that's what all these guys i think all of them except for one are homeschooled christian kids <laughs> and I think they just like they just they just finished school and then just like like Matt Wright, who's my keyboard player, who is like the most musical person I've ever Unreal. met. Unreal, yeah. He's 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 a magical creature, and he's one of these guys where, um, you know, my favorite story with Matt. It's actually that exact same tour, but there's this guy who lives in Santa Cruz. His name is Dave Burns, and he was like a he played in all the big uh, funk like Bay funk bands like Sly and the Family Stone and all these different bands. And he is this B3 Hammond player. And we stay at his house on tour always. And in the morning, what happens is we all, we have coffee and breakfast. And then Dave, there's a B3 and a grand piano in this guy's house. 
and he's like in his 60s and and then for like two hours matt and dave just battle each other they're just like matt will play the b3 and he'll play the grand piano and it's just like it's just people that are there's i think there's like music is this amazing ecosystem too because there's people like you who can play the guitar in a way that i could never dream of playing and then there's people like matt who can play the keys in this it's it's like there's all these little like forests of expertise um and but it's all music but it's in some ways like you know what you do couldn't be any more different than what matt does but you're both masters of your your craft in, in in different ways so matt's thing is just like these crazy chord voicings and just like incredibly tasteful playing it's it's um it's really fun to watch him but yeah so he's one of my guys and then daniel and then um we have a guitar player named adam who's in a band called baseball game that's really great and then our bass player is one of my best friends named patrick dodd who's just like a monster bass player um yeah and they're they're kind of just like my my closest they're my best friends here in town so like and and they're in town and they're on the new record on milk teeth yeah matt is um daniel's not so we had uh this guy named james McAllister who um played drums drummer yeah i know james i figured james is unbelievable yeah he's incredible yeah he's um i i heard about him first because he did all the sufjan stevens records and those are like he was at mars hill was he really yeah yeah he used to be i knew him from there oh crazy that makes sense was he playing music there yeah yeah he would really play with, yeah yep i mean the, you know marcel was just you know high concentration of, of a lot of talent but he was he's yeah. one of those people that was just there yeah you know, yeah there's a lot jam of his... with if you were doing something it'd be he'd be you know people like that yeah that's wild yeah a lot of these people are are people that like you know because that is something that's unique about like growing up in church is that you probably played music before other people did you know there's mm-hmm. like you know, it's some it's like the for farm me, system, no doubt about it. It's the it's, it's at yeah. least the minor leagues, and in some case, the major leagues. You know, totally. And I, I think it, like when you get to be my age and like out of you know, and you living in in Southern California or whatever, and there's people around, it's like the ones that are here that are still playing music are like they're serious. You know, they're really good, and they all came up in the a lot of them came up in the church, and it's like that's how they learned. But so yeah. the the record is great, and they're on it, and. Um, you know, the thing that I, that strikes me about it that I'm fascinated with is when you're playing with players like that, like my, for instance, my strategy is a a ranger. Like I want to babysit every note that everybody else Mm -hmm. plays too. I want to understand, you know, but when, but that's with people that are punk rock like people or something like that. But what, when you're dealing with musicians that are beyond in that, in Mm -hmm. those ways, there's a different skill where you don't tell them what to play or whatever, you know? Yeah. So what is the, how do you, uh, is it about attracting that talent and enabling them? Like how does the, what is the, the, the secret to both getting them to play with you Yeah. and how, how, what comes out of that is, uh, controlled or uncontrolled? Great question. I mean, I, what I do, it's, it's actually kind of crazy because I'll send them, you know, before we start rehearsals, we usually rehearse for like a week. So we'll have like four days of rehearsing and then that's like when then that's it and then we, we're off to the races but i send them like i'll send them the set list and the record and then i'll be like just learn the parts <laughs> but and, the parts that are on the record though still yeah how are and, they getting there oh though so that's yeah so you know, i'm interested to talk yeah. about specifically about these songs on milk teeth because i'm yeah. just loving them so thanks man yeah i mean a lot of those are so matt who's the keys player he's he tends to be one of these people that will write 
a lot of the parts, a lot of the keys parts, especially. Um, and then I actually played, Patrick played a uh, bass on a few songs. I played bass on a bunch of songs. All the bass that sounds like uh, a bass player didn't play them, that's me. <laughs> um, and then a lot of the guitar parts with me or, or Nathan. But the, the way that I kind of go about it is um, we'll spend like a couple months in the studio. So we'll spend like a couple months writing and arranging those parts. And then when it comes to playing them live, it's like, well, this is this is what I want it to kind of feel like. I, I always I always lead with it being like because also like you know there's like some songs have like four guitar players on them and some have like you know just parts that you could never possibly play all at once and we have a five piece band which is great but you just can't play all the things so what I kind of do is I just give it to them I'm like hey all the parts are written and I just sort of see which ones they're drawn to because they're so musical so it's like if they're playing this hook and I thought they were gonna play this other hook that probably just means that that's the better hook and that's the mm-hmm. one that should be highlighted. Yeah. Mm-hmm. And so you just figure out what rain to give them without getting over involved at that point. Yeah. I mean, I've always kind of tried to have like with my band, I, um, and actually on most of my records it has felt this way where I, I want to be the worst one in the room. If I can mm-hmm. ever help it, I always want to be the worst one in the room. Yeah. That that's a struggle for a lot of people. Most people mm-hmm. don't have the, I don't know what it is, confidence or, or, you know, there's insecurity gets in the way of that for a lot of people. Well, and I think too, this actually, it's a strength of, of what I've been able to do because I am like, I've told the people this before, but like natural talent in music for me is like, that's not my strength. Like I, I, I love music and I, and I, and I always know how I want things to feel, but I'm not like a, I'm not like one of these guys that sat around playing guitar like all day. And, and like, I, that's never been me. I love music, but it's not nat- naturally my thing. I'm really, I'm pretty good at like, lyrics and i'm pretty good songwriter and i'm pretty good at like and i really know how i want things to feel Mm -hmm. um so for me it's like i don't have to sit there and micromanage these parts because i can just say like hey you guys are better at writing parts than me i can just try to explain to you how i want it to feel and what i want meaning and tie lyrics to that or you just you explain feeling by like texture because texture is the word that leaps at when i'm listening to milk teeth Mm -hmm. I'm thinking, oh, thank you for these textures. Like, yeah. I don't know how to say it another way, but that's the way it feels. Well, I always want my records to feel like a, like, a, like it's sort of like a, like I want the music to feel, and the words actually both. I want them to feel like, I want them to be like a soundtrack for a movie that's going to play in your head, if okay. that makes sense. Where it's it like, does. like this is, this is, because for me, like the, the magic is imagination. It's what happens inside. It's why I love books, you know, like movies are amazing, but they're, they're telling you exactly how it has to look. And like, if you do a book write or if you do a song write, it can be, it can become some, like you're writing about your first love and it can become their first love and they can put themselves in that place right. where it happened for them. Is music in between though, uh, a book and a, and a movie, right? It's just in yeah. between. Like it's active, like, cause you put yourself in, like a movie you right. kind of put yourself in, but it's very, yeah. it, it is relatively passive. And then the book mm-hmm. is super active, yeah. but the song is like you write it Yep. And then you give a whole bunch of sounds and textures and vibes and details, mm-hmm. but yeah. still people have to be able to put it, it themselves actively in it. That's right. And that's why, like, I think like that's actually like the really big songs you can kind of tell, like that, like the, I think about that song um, driver's license by Olivia Rodrigo a lot. Yeah. 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 Um, because it's, that's the most masterful version of what we're talking about where she is, she's giving enough specifics to make it feel real mm-hmm. and it's ambiguous enough to where everybody in the world has driven past their lost 
yeah. high school crush's house when they were 16 and they just got their driver's license. Like, yeah, those vi- like the, the sounds belong to her and the visuals belong to me, you know, it's exactly. like something like that. Yeah, yeah, right. For sure. Yeah. That's awesome. Um, the, uh, um, that skill is, do you think of it as orchestrate, uh, conductor? Like what is the, cause there's writer, but, mm-hmm. and then the, uh, you know, that what it makes me think of too is, you know, another Mars Hill connection is Chad and King's mm-hmm. Kaleidoscope. He's yeah. the same. He's, he, uh, directs people with mm-hmm. this. He gives them an insane amount of freedom and is mm-hmm. very, very reactive to what they do, whether it be encouraging or that's good or that's not good or whatever it is, yeah. he's able to really try to not be over involved, but attract insane talent and utilize it in in a, in a you know, I, heavy ways in the same way. I felt so, just having gotten to know Chad a bit on this short run I did with them. Um, I was so impressed by him and by them. And also I did, I did recognize a lot of like, I think in some ways like Chad and I are like kind of yin yang a little bit. Cause I tend to be a minimalist. I tend to like try to scoop things away and try to keep it simple. And he's a maximalist, mm-hmm. which is incredibly inspiring to me. Like having a horn section on tour and like all this, like his videos are just in, like, they're like Marvel movie level, per, like just everything is like huge and it's really inspiring. And I think like, for him, like I think being someone that is kind of like at the helm of your thing, you have to you have to have a vision and you have to know where you want it to go. And mm. I think that creative people, if you can get them to catch that vision, um, this is the thing that I've found when it comes to like really high level guys. They don't really care about like the money that much. Like they, they don't like you can't really buy you can you mm. can buy like a mechanical version of the guy that you want who will play the, you know, part perfectly and he'll be a shredder or whatever. But to get somebody with personality, you have to like, first of all, make it, you have to make it a really good experience. So like that's to make them believers. That's right. For sure. Yeah. And they 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 can go beyond. Yeah. They have to be able to see your vision and they have to be able to see a place that they can live inside of that vision that is Mm -hmm. theirs. And, Mm -hmm. and if you can do that, like give it to them enough. Um, then, then you you can do some really special stuff. But it's 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 hard to find those people, and then it's even harder to like convince them that you've yeah. got something worth buying into. Especially when you know money is not the forefront for totally. anybody, and it's not there's not that much of it to go around. That, but so that but that you know that does select down for people who have the intrinsic care. Yeah. Like right. it, it it becomes narrow and mm-hmm. very highly whatever but it is always impressive when people can have enough vision and not over control and i think yeah. you're right chad and you are very yin yang on that um he's kind of you're a he is more actually bottom up from the mm-hmm. songs the feelings the arrangements and then lyrics are the last thing but i yeah. feel like you're top down from the idea the concept i'm well yeah. I'm, I'm, that's what i want to explore now yeah. is the when you when i when i go to milk teeth Mm-hmm. Like I listen to it passively in the background a, a, yeah. a bit, mm-hmm. uh, you know, heard the single stuff like that. But then, you know, earlier, la- a couple of weeks ago when I was listening to it to pay attention to it, mm-hmm. I was immediately, immediately in the, the, the lyrical mm-hmm. uh, place and the, sto- the, you know, really into the, the, the top down part of the, what the song is or about, like I, I yeah. could be drawn to it really. And particularly just, Oh no, 
And then, the, well, the title really helps me a lot. I mean, it says yeah. regarding panic attacks 2016 to 2021. That to <laughs> me is like, okay, I can get a grip on this and then go on this roller coaster or this ride or this scene, mm-hmm. and, you know, in the movie. But it seems to me like, especially as a solo performer, it's just like you have to have it crystallized as the point of the idea first, and then it all comes top down from there. Is that is that right? Absolutely. I mean, the way that I write songs is like, um, the, actually, one of the best songwriting advice I ever got was this guy told me that I needed to like build windows and doors into my houses. Because I, my old songs that like, it, I could tell you what they all are. They're like, you know, they're v- fully imagined places and, and like narratives and stories with characters and like they're things that I know, mm-hmm. but mm-hmm. they're not accessible. So, so the thing that I think as, as I grow as a songwriter, it's me finding ways to like help people. Like that title is a great example, right? As I was like, this song is supposed to be a sonic representation of what having a panic attack at three in the morning feels like. And and it helped me to say like oh, I'm gonna put a little brackets on there. This is this is what this song means. And when I play live solo, I can explain those things to people, and then they can they can get in gonna yeah. get on board in it. But as m- what I do grows, and as people that don't know me, people that are listening passively, like you're saying, you have to help them find those things. Um, so yeah, I mean, like I have like the, every single song in this record, I can like I can tell you where it takes place. Like, um, oh no, obviously, like takes place on my back deck, at, like at my house next to our cop neighbors that are drinking and then mm-hmm. you know it changes scenes actually oh, you they're know. up at three in the morning getting wasted so i, I mean i'm yeah. i'm extremely lyrically challenged like mm. lyrics are the last if i've listened to a song 50 billion times now yeah. i'm starting to get the lyrics right. that's just how i am yeah um but you know this helps me access if it feels accessible right away for that for that reason yeah, yeah that's awesome to hear yeah so that's my my challenge as a songwriter is like I've got this place that I know you know like uh like I've got these scenes and this 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 little like this little story that I'm trying to tell and I know what those are and I know what they mean to me and I'm trying to figure out how to do that in a succinct quick you know three and a half minute way um and and letting people in on it so now um, I would yeah. think a panic attack wouldn't sound like that because it's mm-hmm. it's be- it's this is beautiful. But yet yeah, there's textures and tones and notes and mm-hmm. uh, in betweenness of stuff that there's a there is a lot of discomfort in there mm-hmm. if you pay attention. But it's actually presented like it sounds good. If I was thinking yeah. I want to make a song sound like a panic attack, it would had to be way more it had chaotic. To be some chaotic, horrible yeah. sounding sounds. But it's so yeah. nice sounding. So yeah. how, <laughs> tell me about how to that that the logic of that how that because it. It work. It really works, but that's what uh-huh. that's what hits me about. It. It's like, wow! If you pay attention, I can feel all the tension here. Yeah. But if I don't pay attention, it sounds nice. Yeah, Smooth. totally. It's it, then that when I first wrote that song, it was like, um, in fact, the demo is really. Int- I I think it works a lot better how we ended up recording it now. But it's pretty much just that piano thing the whole time until it happens, and then it's a five count. So it's one, two, three, four, five, bam, and it's just like you know, huge. And it's like five guitars that are all feeding back and stuff. Um, I, but I think like what I wanted to capture in that moment was this, like 
you know, I, like I'm waking up in the morning at three in the morning and it's dark outside and I'm, I'm having this feeling like, oh, the, it could be, this could be happening. You know, it's like, it, I can feel it building and there's, there, this could happen where it's like, it's going to take, it's going to like, you know, be a boulder down a mountain and, and, and that tension of it. But then also like it isn't happening and it's beautiful outside and there's, you know, it's dark and there's all these things are happening. You know, these, there's these like a, there's, you know, the, it, later on it changes scene and I'm walking on the beach in Oregon and it's like, there's smoke from the fires and fog on the rise. Like God is a bartender. Maybe I'm drowning. It's like this, these, all of the beauty of the world. It's like, and I think, I think um, like what I found with, with panic attacks is that um, the way that a panic attack feels to me is that like you're sitting in the safe place and then kind of like all the walls get pulled up and you're in a, and you, you're in this place that's full of danger. And you're like, you realize like, oh, I never realized that I've always been surrounded by infinite danger. Like that everything oh, is danger. Yeah. And, yeah. And, and it was always there. I just didn't notice. And all of a sudden, like, it's like my eyes were open to how, how terrifying the world is because everything is dangerous. And um, it's that moment where like, you, you haven't quite learned that the world is dangerous and you still are, because when the world is dangerous, you can't see how beautiful it is. And there's this thing where like, I can still see how beautiful the world is because it hasn't happened yet. I haven't seen that everything's dangerous. And it's this, it's that like, it's that tension in between that moment. Um, and then the, the, did you watch the the music video for that by chance? I'll, no. I'll send it to you, but it's, it's basically just this guy walking down the middle of the street at the, in, in the, in the dark and there's a spotlight on him. He's just walking in this spotlight and it's just basically him walking and you can see him like gradually like having a panic attack and then when the when it gets loud he's like sprinting and his eyes are all wild and crazy um and that was kind of like what i wanted to but it's beautiful too right it's like you know it's the middle of the night and like the birds are chirping and there's like it's the world is beautiful so that's kind of what i wanted that song to to feel like a little bit well it you know it it connects with me so that's mm -hmm. I, I love it uh how about carlo rossi that one's just so i don't i don't have the insight into that one um, but nonetheless, you've got parentheses on it, love in the face yeah. of great danger. Yeah. Um, I don't immediately have any lyrical questions or insight, mm -hmm. but love the track. Uh, think it's super catchy, but I would love to know what your scene is in your world yeah. that you are building. That's great, man. I, the, Carlo Rossi obviously is like, is that really cheap wine, you know, that comes in the three gallon bottles or whatever. Um, that, when I, I used to go to, I, that one was like, I wrote it basically like during COVID, like the world was all falling apart and, and the world's been falling apart in general for a long time, but it, uh, you know, I got married. So it was like this time where like there was chaos outside, but, um, but I was in love and there was a lot of really beautiful things happening in my life. And, and that's, that's, I was trying to figure out with Carl Rossi how to, how to write a song about um, like micro like micro joy in the face of like macro chaos and disaster and heartbreak and sickness and all these things. It's like, well, how am I supposed to feel happy about being in love or about like getting a you know like you know going on a bike ride or something when like everything is terrible in the news? And the fact of the matter is that that's actually the the story is that like even if everything is on fire like there's so many of these little macro joys that like beautiful moments that are happening 
And so I placed that song in Central America. Like uh, there's like a bunch of references to Central America in there. Like the banyan root is like a ban, like the banyan tree is like this giant tree where the roots drop, like will go down and over the street. And if you're in like Costa Rica, there's like these crazy roots that are over all the concrete and you can like climb up into them and hide and stuff. So there's a scene in that song that says, climb up the banyan root. Here comes the Smokies to tell everyone to go home. It's like the Smokies being the police. It's like there's, and, and the whole beginning of that song is basically, um, it's depicting a riot. So there's a ba- there's a ba- an abandoned hotel and the, the you know you, we sneak in there and we plug the radio in and see if the radio works the radio doesn't work um, and then it's just Carlo Rossi and your elbow pointed at the nighttime stars which is like when you put wine in your because sh- it's the bottle's too big to drink out of so you like put it in your elbow and then you tilt it up like this you're like pointing your elbow up at the stars and it's um, I see your face like they're the second verse like I see your face in the star- in the in the firelight they burned a car in the parking lot it's like this beautiful person and like lit up by a flame and the flame is because they burned a car it's like it's like there's there's dang, incredible danger happening there's a riot happening the cops are coming like head back to howl with the ambulances like everybody's drinking and having a good mm-hmm. time and you're like singing along as the ambulance drives by um and i was i was just trying to find a way to depict like this scene of how i felt in during the last couple of years which is that i'm like so happy to be alive and so many beautiful things have happened in my life and the backdrop is that like there's cars on fire and people are rioting very literally actually in some cases so those those visuals are like trying to like i'm hoping and i'm not i'm not not me so i never know like how people hear those words and things like that but what i really want is for people to see to see those images in their mind and get the feeling of being like, man, this place feels dangerous, but something fun is happening. Yeah. That complexity is always important. Like if, if music feels to me one dimensional, like, Oh, it's dark and it's heavy mm-hmm. and it's minor yeah. and the lyrics are that it's like, well, I, I, I can't do that. So it at least mm-hmm. has to have something that's confusing or, you know, happy, but dark or, you know, yeah. like whatever these complexities is. And, you know, I, um, those two songs I'm attracted to, I now have a clear understanding. It's the danger and the beauty at the same time yeah. on both of those. And then the sounds kind of mm-hmm. paint that, and it all comes from imagination. And I well, don't know I think, if that's like the theme for everything or not, but yeah. at least those two, that's those, those are consistent complexities. Well, and I think, too, you got you guys do this, too, Emery, and you do this as a person, but this idea of like, like creation is taking two things. Like if you're making something new, it's like taking two things that already exist and making a third thing out of those. Mm-hmm. And sometimes like the way that that works the best is, or like you guys do it in your show too, where like the way that you move through your set and stuff, it's like, it's telling this story where you're bringing different ideas together and stuff like that. And it's, it's, um, I think it's really important when you're writing or making things to say like, um, if you're just telling if you're just bringing one thing to people's attention, it's like, well, that's not, that's not new. But if like, I have a song on my last record, this is a great example. It's called Sunday morning. And it's me like asking why my friends that are on drugs act the same way that my friends at church camp act. Like why, (laughs) like why does that feel the same? You know what I mean? It's like drugs in church camp, totally different things. But when you put them together, it asks an important question and it becomes a new thing. So that's always what I'm trying to do. Yeah. And the farther apart the things can be that you can put together that gives that's fertile at least and right you know and and you're not um you don't think that you do you where do you land on you having the entire purchase on dictating what the song actually means versus other people um making out of you know 
how much do you hold on to? No, this is like, cause you obviously have high clarity of mm-hmm. what the song is to you. D- is that the finality of it? Or is that just how you get to make this MP3 that people then yeah. uh, interact with? I mean, my hope, I, I, and I, I don't know how you feel about this, but I always feel like the second that I push, you know, whatever, one 10 PM Pacific time, when that song comes out, it's not mine anymore. You know, it's, it's mm-hmm. someone else's. And, I think if you're doing it right, you know, it does take on a new life. And my hope is that it goes into everybody's, you know, really too. Like what I want is for that song to mean something specific to someone else for them to say like, this song was playing when I was on my road trip to go visit my grandma or whatever. Like that's, that to me is like whatever I meant by it. What I hope that does is not demand to be understood. Right. But, but, becomes something that's a living real organism that can Mm -hmm. grow you know what i mean like Mm -hmm. um and when people understand it totally i'm like wow that's awesome you know but that's not really my intention i want it to become something new so you just have the first experience with the song and your imagination of the scene or the house or whatever is 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 a method to create a thing that then has its own life and path of the entity that the song is or you know even the artist is that way like you mm-hmm. you can be in a band and then you don't have to be in the band anymore and especially in our digital age the band's gonna yeah. go on probably after you die anyway right so it's not yours totally. even your band isn't yours it belongs to other people but um totally. it's it's more interesting when the band is your name mm-hmm. <laughs> how you know so th- that and that's that's weird you know even in itself um but the songs yeah i agree it's like it's like it's uh you have a relationship with it but it's mm-hmm. not yours it's, it's really similar to you know, the, it's this, it's a really similar philosophy to me as having kids, and I mean, yeah, you got to get them ready to go, right? So they can go. I mean, you're not, they're not, yeah. they don't stay yours, you know. Totally, and you do obviously, you know, you're the one that's like dictating how they behave in public. Yeah, you know, you, what I, mean? I mean, you get to be formative for them, but then you got to, they got to go. But then it's then it's not yours anymore. It's yeah. like you just, yeah, totally. Yeah, yeah. it's it's the, it's wild to think that like like long after you're gone people will be listening to Emery. You, you know? know? Maybe, yeah. But, yeah, I mean, so, I mean, you, but you see when bands break up, it's like, the, yeah. we're ending the band. No, you're not. Yeah, no. <laughs> you, yeah. you could don't ever have to participate again, but yeah. it has nothing but to do with it. It's beyond you. I mean, get yeah. out of here. Don't totally. be so arrogant. You don't control it. Yeah, you know? right. Right, totally. The, uh, I love Hide from the World because of that chord on world. I want to hide from the world. That the tone, the tone out, the vibe of that song is like uh, I don't know what genre it even is, and then that that borrowed chord is is very cool. I was I was my my so my keyboard player Matt, who I talked about a lot, who's so musical, he's been making fun of me a lot because he's like he says that I listen to Steely Dan too much during COVID, there. and that's why nice, that's why nice. I did some like there's like there's like three songs with key changes on this record. And there's like stuff like that chord, which I never mm-hmm. would have done in the past. Mm-hmm. But um, I think I just like, I was trying to like find ways to, um, you know, cause that song, for instance, it's like, it's pretty straightforward. It's like trying to find ways to like throw little curveballs in there. Um, and that was one, that's one of them. I love that chord. That was a fun one. Yeah. It's also, 
so it's like a it's a push on the second part through it too it's like and i think like that's always really antithetical to do on a chorus it's like you think like the chorus needs to be like the one moment where everything just makes perfect sense Mm -hmm. and i wanted to especially on a song that's about like not wanting to be around other people it's like just don't give them exactly what they expect right like give them something a little bit different in that chorus section so yeah i love it those are you know those are three at least highlights from the record um for me but the whole thing's great the textures and the feel of it you know it's awesome so um thanks it's been a good experience releasing it thus far the the visuals and everything that have come out and and what i've seen online before i see it live Mm -hmm. i've enjoyed it's been a good process it has yeah it's been fun to i think it's been fun to have like because we had a little bit of time before people even knew that this existed to like make a bunch of other visuals and stuff like that to like uh all that super we added up a whole bunch of super eight stuff of like people that live in my town here surfing and skateboarding around and stuff and um it's been fun to like just it's and on one hand it's like really kind of overwhelming to have to have all this visual stuff that you have to put out with every release because it's like that's how people are finding so much of it um but it's also fun to like give like when you have it it's like oh this is so cool like this is a new little representation of this song or whatever so um, yeah yeah that's been something that's changed you know when when we first started it's like well what are you talking about i don't know anything about visuals and trying to make Mm -hmm. sounds i don't don't care what the album cover is or have any (laughs) feedback on that i don't know what that would be why is that my it's not my department yeah but now you had everything's art and visuals and every Mm -hmm. you know it's like almost everything what's what's the visual component and it's like oh i'm gonna have to learn how to interact with that part of the world but um yeah when you have stuff to say and do and don't feel like you just have to i don't know hire some designer to do something for the release that's it's really nice that it's all you know tied in together and all coming from a Mm -hmm. singular place which is which is pretty awesome i felt really lucky because like just because early on especially i didn't have i was doing everything on my own like i was booking my own tours and i was you know i was making my own posters and like editing my own videos and all this. Mm-hmm. So I kind of had to learn how to do all that stuff just because I was I was indie for so long. So when this stuff comes along and it's like, oh yeah, I can I know how to do all this stuff. It's kind of fun to be like, oh, I'm glad that I learned how to like use a premiere or whatever. Mm-hmm. So yeah, that's awesome. Um and so you know, you like you said you're middle school in ninety eight or, or whatever that is. So that's kind of an indication of what time you came up. When we just have a few minutes left here anyway, but mm-hmm. let's do this. Do this episode's kind of in reverse. But how did you get into tooth and nail culture in the first place? Do you have a favorite three? Uh, you have favorite three you can share with us, and how you you know yeah. where where your interface first was with the, with our world. It must have first probably been MXPX. I think that was the first time that I heard about tooth and nail, and then. Um, I had a bunch of, fr- I wasn't super into the hardcore scene as much. Um, but there were a few records that I really loved. I really loved that, um, that under oath record, the define the great line record was a big one for me. And then, but my three, my three, I think the th- I was trying to, I looked through it today cause there's so many, there are so many good ones. Um, that further seems forever record. The moon is down is one of my all time mm-hmm. favorite records. There's like some moments on that album that are so good. Um, and then the other two, it would have to be a Me Without You record. Probably Catch For Us, The Foxes would be it. Um, I I love that band, man. This is like, I remember the first time I heard that, being someone that like is so lyrically driven, like having him just talk, like kind of like talk sing over over these cra- this crazy music was just like, it felt like so new and fresh and exciting to me. Um, and then 
the same thing with the Starflyer records. There's so many good Starflyer records, but um, I just picked. You must have gone back to hear those. I mean, most of those were Mm -hmm. before you were probably paying any attention, right? Oh, for sure. I mean, I found, I found the Starflyer stuff. There was kind of a time where, like, uh, growing up in the Northwest, it was like uh, I kind of found like, you know, you kind of like go down the rabbit hole. Like, you start with Death Cab for Cutie or whatever, and then you learn about like uh, Bazan and Peter the Lion, and then mm-hmm. there's Damien Gerardo and Rocky Voltolato and mm-hmm. um, just all that stuff that's going on up there. And then you kind of find that's about the same time that I found uh, Jason's stuff, and then um, for Starflyer, and then. Uh, yeah, actually, a lot of that kind of like the stuff that you don't think of as being tooth and nail, but it like that you know there's a there's a Peter Line EP that came out on tooth and nail and mm-hmm. um, some Damien Gerardo stuff and I love all that stuff. Yeah, that's a, you know that is that's no matter what a part of tooth and nail because it uh, Damien and Dave Bazan and even Rocky and that, that that's that's such a cohesive scene and then mm-hmm. me without you gets close to that even though they're not really attached like yeah in the same way but those things are the side that have been a, a big influences on almost mm-hmm. all tooth and nail from the side it, it gets lumped into the thing of what you call cred versus yeah. like this accessible youth groupiness to it the, the, those two um those two part you know one is one can be a little snobbier or higher mm-hmm. art and one can be a little more you know what I mean? But those two pedals on the bike wound up influencing the the generations that me without you always comes up and yeah. uh, that further seems forever, you know, mm-hmm. but, but, um, I, I mean, there's not, I mean, there's very few successful artists on tooth and nail that wouldn't, don't feel that influence from those guys you're, you're listing, you yeah. know, so, totally. been, it, you know, they're all in the same very small circles at the, in mm-hmm. the right exact right years of time and and they said a lot, they had a lot of principles i think that people took like the principle i don't know what exa- i'm not mm-hmm. can't name the principles but if i feel like there's some lyrical principles that really uh, uh live on from 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 that i think that stuff i think like when you're making quieter music it's like the pr- like the principles have to be a little bit more explicit like you know you like when you're making loud music you can say something without saying it you know you can say it with the way that you sing and you can say it with the, how your guitar sounds and the way that you play show and stuff like that like and when you're playing quieter it's like you kind of have to have a little bit of that a, a little more out on your sleeve you have to be like what is this about because like who can, mm-hmm. it's like dylan you know if dylan was up there singing yeah. like tom petty songs or whatever on his acoustic guitar would have been like well, what, what's the point that's a really good point because it gives you this feeling that they're like the sounds everybody knows. It's like, oh, it's heavy or it's obnoxious or it's overdriven mm-hmm. or it's p- pushed past the limit or whatever. And that's the sound. But it's not the sound. It's the approach mm-hmm. at every level, including lyrics. So even if you strip it down, if the lyricist or the performer is using that same over the line, breaking the fourth wall thing, like out of the, like beyond the, what you're thinking it should be, yeah. or you've seen it before, that somehow is familiar, whether it's quiet or loud. Totally. Um, and so there's something, something in that. And that, uh, that brings me to just another thing that I think that's unique about you is when you perform solo, you, there's a thing that you do that's relatively unique, which is the, way that you will interact with the crowd if they're not paying the right level of attention to you <laughs> is a very punk thing. So it's like this guy up there with a thing. I've, I mean, I've seen you fuss with crowds and be aggressive toward crowds before mm-hmm. in a way that you don't like some that if somebody feels like the crowd isn't with them, 
and they react to that, it's usually not, it doesn't usually go that well for the performer, but mm-hmm. you're able to like challenge an audience if that, mm-hmm. if they're not behaving properly. I've seen you do it many times and it's like, <laughs> it's weird how you're, it, it's like a new dynamic. Like it, it feels like it, it's one of those things. I, and I don't, I'm, I, I don't know if you talk about that much or how you see, I know we've talked about it before on some level, but that's mm-hmm. one of those things that makes it feel like you fit the universe because you're yeah. challenging a, a something there. What, what does that feel like to you when you do that? I think, I mean, I just, I just don't think that artists like they like artists should be like, you have to be standing up for something and, and you have to be like challenging. Like that's sort of your job. Mm-hmm. You know what I mean? Challenging. It's actually like, yeah. That's the challenging. Yeah, yeah. It's actually like my problem with Nashville, which is that like in Nashville, it's like, what's going to be successful. And it's like, that's your job. Your job is to figure out where we're going. It's not, you don't follow the market. You know what I right. mean? Like the market follows you. And that's, that's what I think like, you know, not to be like, to say that that's like prophecy or something, but that's like the prophetic voice of the artist is to say like, this is what's wrong and this is where we're going. Not like I'm going to follow you because this is what will sell. It's like, that's, and that's why the artists that stand, stand, like stand the test of time, like Cobain or something is a great example of that. Of being like, this guy was going someplace, whether or not we followed that person. Mm-hmm. You know what I mean? Um, so yeah, yeah, he I would just, challenge the audience by doing yeah. the songs worse or weird or whatever. But if you yeah. feel that they're not paying sufficient yeah. attention, you react to that. The, that actually, to me, is like it's actually way more of a math problem. So like when when the when the audience isn't paying attention, or when there's like usually what it is is that like I can kind of like when I'm up there playing, I can kind of split the audience up. I'll be like, all right, so like forty percent's listening. I know we'll say sixty percent is listening. Probably like twenty percent is super into it, um, and then there's like. 15% that are kind of not paying attention, but they're not ruining it for anybody. And then there's like yeah. 10% that's ruining it. I see. I'm like, so if I look at that, I'm like, all right, so if what I need to do is if I need to control the, this 10% isn't going to like me either way. Right. They're, they're lost. Yeah. They're lost cause. So I can either make them hate me and shut up and not ruin it for everyone else. Or I can, not make them hate me and they'll never remember me ever again or think of my name ever again and they'll probably ruin it for like another 200 people yeah so that's like, it so i'm like if, if i if those people hate me and i call them out and i make them look silly or i like talk about them from stage and i make it a bit of the show they're gonna hate me it doesn't matter they were either gonna forget about me or hate me so i don't care it's like they that's, can hate that's me. why it works I, thank yeah. you for pointing that out because it's not that you're attacking the crowd it's Mm-mm. just there's a a, a faction of the crowd that you, the bulk of the crowd, or even forty percent of the crowd, yeah. can recognize that they're with you, and these people, you, you, you do divide them mm-hmm. in a way that that's functional, and that you know that's that's kind of rare or something. I think that you do that that's unique, but yeah, that that's a good way to put it. And you challenge them. Um, really, what I'm trying to do is like make it a better show for as many people as possible. You know, it's yeah. like, and and that's my job. My job is to put on as good of a show as I can. And if somebody's yelling over me, then I. I can't do that. So it's like, yeah. well, I got to do my yeah. best to control it. The way I look at it is everything is about attention. I mean, Facebook's about attention or Twitter, mm-hmm. or whatever, but, but really it's just creating something and asking for attention. No, no apologies about it. Right. And then you, 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 there's, it's not, so it's a number of humans that give a certain amount of minutes of attention, mm-hmm. but there's a quality of the attention that pays right. unbelievable divot, like to have Absolutely. focused attention is better than to have double the amount of people without you know? question. And if you get yeah. all the way down to a 50 or a hundred people and we, and living room or we do a songs and stories kind of event yeah. that the quality Kings K is the best at that. They can mm-hmm. get 800 people to be 
given a high quality attention yeah. that needs to be paid attention to more because it's it's better than more people it's more better than more eyeballs or clicks it's quality attention totally. is is a, is a exponential value you know so without to be question. able to focus yeah. a group into one cohesive thing right. of high attention there's that's that's the real that's where all the gains are and then yeah. it also translates into um you know just to tie it all together that is something that's crossed over into the type of music that's made now that's for uh you know, AirPods, frankly, mm-hmm. like right. it's calmer music that goes straight into your, it's not a stadium mm-hmm. rock blasted right. on stereo. It's you're creating music in the studio to go straight into people's ears. And then mm-hmm. I guess one day and beam it into their head with a chip or something like <laughs> yeah. that. That's the game we're in. And yeah. so now you've heard all these calmer sounds with better attention on Spotify that's curated perfectly. Like, I don't know, mm-hmm. something's is shifting in that and you 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 navigate all that super super well so that that's one of the things i find most impressive thanks matt well i've always really admired and, and looked up to your you i feel like you always have a um your approach to the to the music business is like it's so dynamic and like you're able to watch things change and you're able to adapt and you're it's exciting for you and that's always been really inspiring to me because i think a lot of people see you know anything changing and it's like just terrifies them and you've always been like well this is fun this is a new experiment and it's a new way to try things out and so i've always been super inspired by your by your approach yeah when things change you get a freedom to do things poorly and just try things try something I like new that. i like that because i've always felt like a, and and most of our whole scene it's like you feel like an outsider anyway so when there's right. disruption it's like okay well maybe i can get it i can try something crazy now and see right. if that you know there's like opportunity you know in change because it's the status quo is now more up for grabs or whatever. So like totally. if you're experimental with things, that's, you know, you want it, to, you don't want it to be locked down. Mm-hmm. I mean, why would you want that? Yeah. It's the worst thing in the world. Mm-hmm. Yeah. Thanks so much for chatting with me, man. Yeah. Tyson, it's been a great, great conversation. So it's thank always you. a pleasure thank you for doing it. Congratulations on the new record. And, uh, you know, we'll be in touch. Absolutely, man. Thanks so much. <laughs> Thank you so much for listening to this episode of Labeled. My name is Aaron Gillespie, and my favorite song of mine is YMCA by The Village People, because it fucking rips. Labeled is produced by Matt Carter and Knucklebreaker Productions at Compound Free Recordings. Editing and sound design by Seth Thompson. Editorial oversight by Jim Worthen and Adam Scatula. Brand and design direction by Joel Bugelman. Our production manager is Katie Franson. Hey, Katie. Executive producers Brandon Ebel and Matt Carter. Additional support from Marshall Frimuth, Tyson Paoletti, and Anna Merzgalaki. Sorry, Anna. 